Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, everybody, welcome to week two of Home Run Faith. This is our baseball theme series, taking a look at all stars of the Christian faith. It is good to be at home plate here in Morristown with you folks. I'm Kyler, campus pastor down in uh, New Brunswick. And can we just take a moment to give a big cheer to our other three ballparks, I mean campuses, Nutley, Mountainside, and New Brunswick. Yeah! Yeah! Now, all my peeps down in the Bruns, as we like to call it, they've been getting to know me over the, the two years that I've been down there as pastor. Most of them know that I'm Canadian, and they're okay with that because we Canadians tend to be very, um, you know, very nice, polite, agreeable people. Here's a question. How do you get 100 Canadians out of a swimming pool? You ask them to get out of the swimming pool. Okay, we're just that nice. That's just the way we are. That's how we roll. Uh, you know, but, I, you know, I, I love the States. I've been here for many years now. But, um, you know, I'm still proud to be from Canada. However, I am sorry that we sent down Justin Bieber to you <laughs> with no instructions on how to turn him off. Okay, I'm sorry about that. But as you can see, I'm also a big Toronto Blue Jays fan. Uh, that is, the, uh, Toronto is, is Canada's only remaining uh, major league franchise. Um, you know, rest in peace, Montreal Expos, if you remember them. But let me take you back right now to 1993 and my favorite home run of all time. Two balls and two strikes on it. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions as Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning, and the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Okay. That's enough. That's enough. Okay. No, actually, can we show that one more time? Just one. No? No? All right. Okay. Well, listen, I'm going to watch it later over and over with all the rest of you who are big Toronto Blue Jays fans here this morning. That's most of you, right? Um, Actually, are there any other Toronto Blue Jays fans here this morning? Any? You've got your hand up? I, you know, I'm sorry, but you're lying. You're just patronizing me. I, I know that. No. <laughs> All right. Are you really? That would be awesome. Okay, let's talk later, sister. Now, I don't have a picture of me as a kid playing baseball because, as you can imagine, growing up in Canada, I played hockey. This is me in the middle. You can see me there. And, and look at the jerseys. There's nothing on them. We were so bad, nobody wanted to sponsor us, I think. <laughs> Anyway, I love baseball, love Toronto Blue Jays, but the Jays have not made that easy over the last 20 years because since winning back-to-back -back World Series in 92 and 93, we haven't sniffed the playoffs since. But this year, Toronto is back in the playoff hunt, and like any person of deep religious faith, I've got my fingers crossed. All right? So listen, I want to ask you today, have you got a home-run faith? Last week, Pastor Tim kicked off this series by drawing a baseball a diamond. Do you remember that? And when you hit a home run, you touch all four bases. That's what we're going to do in this series. That's what we pray is going to happen in your life. And the last week, we looked at Paul's advice to his protege, Timothy. Here's what he said. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
Paul prayed over Timothy. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, does not make us fearful, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So we want you to have a home-run faith. That means that we want you to touch all the bases as God fills you with a spirit of fearlessness, of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So last week, Pastor Tim began by introducing us to young uh, Timothy, who learned that if he, if he feared God, that is, if he, if he obeyed God, respected Him, loved Him, trusted Him, then he would have no reason to fear man, okay? No reason. And that God would do amazing things through him. And, and He did. God did. Timothy became a major league player in the early church. Now, to achieve great things for God, you must make room in your life for His power to work in you and through you. And so that's what we're going we're gonna to zero in on today, all right? Because I want each of you to be a power hitter on God's team. I'm going to swing for the fences today, and we're going to talk about Timothy's mentor, his coach, the Apostle Paul. All right, so right before we get into that, let's just have a little fun. I'm going to call the ushers forward. For all you collectors out there, last week we handed out the Timothy Rookie of the Year cards, right? Uh, and, and this week our ushers are going to hand out Apostle Paul Power Hitter cards, courtesy of Liquid's brilliant creative team. Uh, we got four cards total. So last week, Timothy, this week, Paul. We got two more All Stars coming up in the next two weeks. We're not going to tell you who they are. You're going to have to come and get one for yourself. Um, but collect them all, folks. Because someday, you may be able to put your kid through college thanks to these cards and eBay. You just never know, all right? So as they're handing those out, you can see uh, some uh, statistics about the life of Paul on the back. He's from a place called Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey. Uh, the height of his activity and influence was, you know, around A.D. 55. That's where he was swinging. Uh, uh, he was an amazing missionary and church planter. He had strengths and he had weaknesses. We're going to talk about some of those this morning. All right. Well, let's thank it for our ushers, okay? They, they do a lot of great stuff for us. Now, in baseball terms, and you may not be a, a baseball fan, but you can probably guess what a power hitter is, right? The power hitter is the one who's expected to, you know, to, to get that big hit, you know, to, to mash one out of, the, out of the park and onto the street behind the stadium, all right? He is often the face of the team. It's its, it's most recognizable player. Why? Because fans love guys who can hit home runs, who can hit for power, right? It's fun to watch. Now, Paul by so many standards, really deserves to be called a power hitter. This guy knocked it out of the park. He, he wrote almost half of the New Testament. His intellect was immense. His knowledge of religion and philosophy was vast. His, his passion as a missionary to reach the known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ was unrivaled. His, his perseverance through countless difficulties and setbacks is mind-blowing. Now, nobody knows for sure, but some ancient documents say that Paul was only about five feet tall. But without a doubt, he was a giant among men because of his faith. A first ballot, Hall of Fame Christian, Paul was a power hitter. But that's definitely not how he started out. And so I want us to take a look, at, look today at three things that Paul learned on his way to becoming a power hitter. In God's eyes, three lessons that if you and I learn them, will give each of us a home-run faith. All right, so the first lesson is, the weak 
part of the bat is where God puts his grip. The weak part of the bat is where God puts his grip. What do I mean by that? Well, look at this beautiful boy, all right? This, this guy is meant to mash. Now, where's its weakest part? It's in the handle, right? The fat part is, is what's supposed to hit the ball. But if a 90-mile-per-hour fastball comes in on, on, on your hands, comes in on the slender part and hits right here, it's going to break the bat probably. It's going to shatter it. But this weak section, that's where you grip the bat, right? And that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to grab a hold of us in our weakest places and hit for power. Does that make sense? So listen, um, I'm going to put down the bat right now. I'm going to pick up a Bible. I, I want you to pick up a Bible too and turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12. It's on page 808 in your Bible, 808. This is an excerpt from a letter that Paul, the power hitter, wrote to a group of believers in Corinth, Greece, the Corinthians. Paul says, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's what? Christ's power may rest on me. That, that, that Christ's power may rest on me, that he may... He may Lay a hold of me, may, may get a grip on me in my weak places. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I am not all that comfortable about boasting gladly about my weaknesses. I don't know too many people who are. What does that even look like, right? Uh, hey, hey you, uh, I don't mean to brag, but uh, I am highly disorganized and have chronic bad breath. Yeah, in your face. Really? Is it, that's not, but that's not what it means to boast about your weaknesses. As Christ followers, boasting about our weaknesses is a way of saying, hey, you know what? If it wasn't for my weaknesses, Christ's power couldn't work through me. So I'm glad I have weaknesses. I'm going to boast about them to, to, to raise up Christ. Does that make sense? So now for Paul to boast about his weaknesses you got to realize that he's come a long way at this point because the Paul from 20 years earlier would never have boasted about his weaknesses. He never would have let Christ's power work in his life. In fact, Paul wasn't even Paul. He was Saul back then. That was his original name. And he was known as a ferocious persecutor of Christians. Saul was an all-star in his world. He was a, a power hitter in the Jewish religious establishment. He played for the Pharisees. They were the most vocal and influential team around. Highly legalistic and self-righteous, uh, Jesus was constantly opposed by them. In, a, in his letter to the Philippians uh, years later, Saul, now Paul, listed his worldly credentials as a power hitter. He said, you know, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, he was very proud of that. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, says Paul, genealogically, I was the pinnacle of the Jewish heritage. Influentially, the elite of Jewish society, the most righteous of religious leaders morally. Nobody's perfect, but I come pretty close. I have no weaknesses worth speaking of, and I'm proud of that. I am a power hitter batting a thousand. Bam! And then, this power hitter for the Pharisees got traded. So, 
He's on his way to Damascus to hunt down more Christians. You've heard of the Christians, right? Those, those annoying troublemakers who are spreading lies about some Jewish carpenter being the son of God and rising from the dead. Paul wants to get rid of them. And on the road to Damascus, where he's heard some are, Paul was knocked to the ground by a flash of light. And the voice of the risen Jesus spoke to him. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I'll bet you didn't know Jesus has a Canadian accent. There you go. But you see, Paul had been blinded by this flash of light. He couldn't see a thing. His companions had to lead him by the hand into Damascus. Why? Because he was helpless and he was weak. He'd never been weak a day in his life. And now he had to be led by the hand. Can you imagine how humiliating that would be for a hotshot like Paul? Not to mention that he's in complete shock over the risen Jesus, you know, appearing out of nowhere and knocking him flat on his Pharisee fanny. But once he's in Damascus, okay, God sends a believer to Paul who prays with him and his sight gets restored. Paul starts hanging out with the Christians there and he starts putting it all together that this gospel is true. So this, this power hitter from Jerusalem, he joins a new team. But who is Paul now? Now he's a, a nobody in the eyes of the world, right? His prestige is gone. His former colleagues and connections, they all think he's committed career suicide. And so he has. But God was showing Paul what real power is. The life-changing power of Jesus at work in all who put their faith in him as Lord and Savior. God was changing the world not through self-serving kings, self-made power brokers, self-righteous religious leaders. No, but through those with humble faith and sacrificial love like the early Christians that Paul was learning from. These Christ followers were power hitters precisely because they were not afraid to look weak and foolish in the eyes of the world for the sake of the gospel. And so God poured out his power, his Holy Spirit, through their weakness. They received spiritual gifts of healing and, and, and teaching and preaching and, and so much more that was turning the world upside down. But you know what often keeps us from being power hitters? We refuse to be weak. We refuse to acknowledge that we need a savior. Let me give you a few examples. First, it's the excuses of any of us who are struggling with addiction, right? We say, oh, I can do this. I can handle this. I can beat this. We think we're strong enough to save ourselves. Folks, that's denial, right? That's denial. We say, oh, I don't have an alcohol problem, a drug problem, a, a, a porn problem. I can, I can quit this anytime I want. Really? Because for most of us, taming an addiction through sheer willpower, that's like hitting a home run with a toothpick. And, it, you know, as long as we're not willing to admit our weaknesses to ourselves or to anyone else, we're just going to keep striking out. My buddy Henry Hunt knows what it feels like to strike out because of addiction. Now, these days, Henry serves on the media team in New Brunswick. Uh, he is the husband of Patty Hunt, our awesome connections coordinator there. These two are a power-hitting couple in the Bruns, and we love them. But Henry hasn't always felt like a power hitter. There's been plenty of times in my life where I felt like I've struck out swinging. Um, for those of you who know me, um, I've struggled with alcohol for 25 years. Um, so just thinking back to the days when I was struggling, and um, it, always, it still is a constant struggle. 
Um, it's never going to go away. Uh, but just one incident that comes to mind um, was at a family wedding. And um, just drinking, we were drinking all day, all night at a wedding. Um, and uh, one thing led to another. I found myself in jail um, for the night, but it was, that was temporary. Um, but I had to go to trial for this. It was a serious incident. I almost killed someone from a, a, a physical fight. About a year later, when, when I went to court, when I went to trial, I was found guilty of aggravated assault and um, ended up, I was sentenced to uh, one year in jail and um, I ended up uh, spending three months in jail. I'm in a jail cell because of my actions, because of drinking. Um, and you know, that was, that was just one incident of many. After everything I've been through, um, God did help me rebuild my swing because God is working in me. He has healed, he's begun the healing process in me. It's, it's taking a time, it's not overnight, um, it's a, but it's a process that he has begun in me. When I came back to church and, and started to get involved, my life started to change. It wasn't about me and, and my problems and everything else in my life. It was, about, it was about God, about Jesus, something more important. So when I finally decided to let go and, and give it, let Jesus carry me, it's when my life started to change. I've become more involved with the church. I, I volunteer my time um, with the media team. Um, I've gotten involved with uh, the, a men's group. I went on a, uh, to El Salvador um, last year with the clean water trip and came back and, and that was just another step in the process of growing and, and healing. My advice to anyone out there, there, there was a time when I, I felt like I wasn't part of God's team, um, that I was just going through the motions of life and was disconnected from God. Um, I would just, I would say to them, don't ever give up. It's never too late. Um, God is always there. Uh, you might feel like he's not there, but he is there. He's, he's, he's in you, he's, he's with you all the time. Uh, there was a time in Henry's life when he felt that God didn't want him on his team. He'd struck out too often. He'd, he'd whiffed too many times with the game on the line. Henry believed that he was a failed prospect with no future. And then Henry let God become strength in his weakness. There's a guy able to boast about his weaknesses in the right ways, amen? And now God is hitting for power through Henry Hunt. Can I get an amen in here? Isn't that amazing? Praise God. Praise God. Here's another way we, we struggle with showing weakness. Why don't we see more people in our lives become believers, become Christ followers, whether it's family members or coworkers or neighbors? Maybe it's because we are not willing to look weak or, or foolish. Because that can happen, right? If we take the risk and we share our testimony or, or, or start a conversation about Jesus, we say, oh, I'll let uh, Pastor Tom or Pastor Tim handle that. You know, I'm going to leave that to the pros. But the fact of the matter is, God wants you to have a major league faith, all right? He wants you to trust Him with your weakness so He can pour His power into you. Let Him get a grip on you, all right, in your weak places. No fear. That's what God wants for you. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you've, got, uh, if you've been following along in your message notes, all right, uh, on the second page, we've got highlighted a question that I want you to answer. In what area of weakness in your life can you ask God to pour out His power? In what area of weakness in your life can you ask God to pour out His power? An addiction, maybe? Your marriage? 
a thorn in the flesh, some sort of physical limitation or affliction, maybe a, a relationship with a family member or a coworker. Maybe it's your faith in God. Maybe you came in here this morning and, and you're not even sure you believe in God. Maybe you need to pray for, for God's power to, to fill you and let, him, let you know he's there. Maybe it's some other area. You fill in the blank, but write it down. And then this week, I encourage you to make that a matter of prayer. In fact, after the services, we've got members of our spiritual care team, our prayer warriors, and they would love to pray with you for an infilling of God's power in your life. Now, there was a time when I never wanted to look weak to anybody. For whatever reason, my self-esteem was based on projecting an aura of invulnerability. I needed to be a guy who, who looked like he had all the answers, no shortcomings, no flaws, and it meant that I was not a very good team player because I preferred to work alone knowing that that way the job would get done right. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Hmm? I avoided collaboration because I just thought that others weren't as talented, as smart, as, as creative as me. What a jerk. Much more then than now. But for years, I was on a staff at a Christian camp up in Canada back when I was in my 20s. Now, I said in my 20s, not 1920s. Don't let the sepia fool you. Uh, but here we are. That's me uh, right in the middle there with the big hair. Actually, we all had big hair, didn't we? Well, eventually, I became the camp speaker. Uh, and the guy, this is the guy who, who delivers an inspiring message to the whole camp about living out the Christian faith. Uh, I thought I was pretty good at it with my attitude back then. Of course I did. I got to the point where I couldn't imagine anyone else stepping into that role. I owned it. Camp speaker was a big deal, and it was my thing. I was proud of my status. And then one year, the camp got a new director. Uh, this had actually been uh, a young woman who uh, I had been a camp counselor to. I'd been a bit of a mentor to her when she was younger. Now, Jennifer was all grown up and was taking on the directorship. And she had some fresh ideas. One was to divide up the camp speaker role amongst different staff, a different speaker for each day of the camp. And you can imagine how my ego hated this idea. And so in private, I confronted Jen, and I said, Jen, <laughs> I just got to say, I, I don't think that this, this idea of yours is really going to be that effective. And she heard me out, but gently pushed back that this was the direction that she, she and others wanted to go. And so again, I expressed that it is probably, you know, not something that was going to work out too well. And she replied that she thought it, it would. And so I got right up into sweet little Jennifer's face, and I said, it should be me. Anyone else is a mistake. And I stormed out. Whoa. Like, I surprised myself when I said that. Well, what had happened to me? Somewhere along the way, things had got tw gotten twisted. And I had started making the speaker role all about me and not about bringing kids to Jesus. I started making it all about my glory and not God's. I was operating out of my strength and ability and not allowing God's power to work through me at all. I had probably become the worst camp speaker in history because my ego allowed no room for God's Spirit to work through my words. That's what ego means, you know, E-G-O, edging God out. And that's what I had done. You know what else I'd done? I, I, I had done terrible damage to my relationship with Jen. Oh, you know, I eventually apologized, but you know, it was never the same after that. So I began praying. I mean, really praying for God to change me 
because that outburst of mine, it broke me. And I prayed for him to take away this stupid selfishness and pride and teach me some humility to empty me of my ridiculous self-reliance, to, to make me weak, that he might pour into me his power for his purposes. And he began to do just that. Folks, let me tell you something. I am preaching to you today out of zero confidence in my own ability to accomplish anything. I have nothing to give you. If this message today is helpful to any of you for any reason, it is entirely, utterly, completely because of God's power working through my weakness and for His glory. Amen? Being weak so God can make me strong. You know, I'm still learning how to hit that pitch. I sure am. Can you hit that pitch? If you can't, you know what it means? It means being dependent completely on God for everything. It, it means, it means uh, you know, emptying yourself of all ego, pride, and defensiveness. It means, it means you know, uh, not patting yourself on the back for any of your accomplishments or your, your talents, your skills, your successes, but giving all of the credit to your maker. It, it, means, it means acknowledging that without God giving you the gift of every breath, you wouldn't be here. You'd be nothing. Can you be weak like that? Because if you can, then grab a batting helmet and get ready for what the creator of the universe is going to do through you. Folks, power hitters are not ashamed of their weaknesses and limitations before God or anyone else. But it's not easy, is it? You know who was willing to look weak and foolish? Jesus. How did he enter the world? as a weak little baby, right? Fully God and fully human. A fully human baby. That means Jesus, as a baby, cried, he spit up, he soiled his diaper, he was helpless and weak. Well, what's that hymn? Away in a manger, right? And the line in it, uh, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he made. What's that? That's not in the Bible. If fully human, then crying he made. How many of you have babies or toddlers at home? Crying they make? My 22-month-old son crying he makes. And I cherish the thought of, of Joseph or Mary, you know, holding the baby Jesus at 3 a.m., pacing back and forth in the manger and saying, Lord, I don't care if you make him the Messiah. Just make him sleep. Oh, I cherish that. Jesus was a real, helpless, weak little baby. He was born in a manger. He was laid down to rest in an animal's feeding trough. Does that scene have an aura of power? about it? Hardly, right? Now, speaking of auras of power, um, you know what? Here's another thing. Jesus didn't have a halo that set him apart as anything special, as anything powerful. Oh, artists, though, they love the halo thing, right? Baby Jesus always has a halo in every medieval painting like you see here or every Hallmark Christmas card, right? Uh, you know, often Mary and Joseph, they've got halos too. Sometimes the donkey has a halo, all right? But the Bible says, the Bible says, and there were no halos. Well, that's not what it says, but that's what it means. What it says is, and there was no room in the inn. That means that if somebody comes to your inn, to your hotel, and they've got halos, you find them a room. You know, you, you, you go down to the guy in room 104 and you say, sorry, buddy, uh, you know, you're checking out early because we got some people here with halos. What you don't do is put people with halos in the garage, Right? 
Jesus grew up without a halo, without any outward sign of, of power. He was a humble carpenter. And when he began his ministry, he looked foolish to many. Because here was this guy who made me a kitchen table, and now he's wandering all over the place, teaching his kooky ideas about God and hanging out with social rejects. Jesus was willing to look weak and foolish. It would have been so much easier for him, right, if he had looked more messianic, more like the Son of God, you know, if he'd, he kind of floated through the sky everywhere he went, you know, with shafts of golden light shining from his fingertips, you know, people would have looked up and said, I'm kind of thinking Messiah here, right? But that didn't happen. Instead, Jesus both entered the world in weakness and he departed the world in weakness, bloody and naked on a cross, looking to all the world like a failure. But that's not the end of the story, is it, right? God the Father's saving power was made perfect in the Son's weakness, in Christ's willingness to be a sacrifice for our sins. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, for the message of the cross is what? It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? It is the power of God. Now, Paul desired to have a home-run faith. He realized how God's power was working wonders through the weakness of Jesus, and he determined that he would live a life of the cross too. Power hitters let God hit for power through them. Are you willing to let God grip you in your weakness in order to hit for power through you? Here's a second lesson that Paul learned. Power hitters play through pain. Power hitters play through pain. Uh, Athletes often have nagging injuries, right, that they wish would just go away, a tight hamstring or a sprained finger, a sore back, and they'll often try to play through the pain. Uh, Paul learned to play through a lot of pain and aggravation, countless physical, emotional, spiritual setbacks on his missionary journeys. He was repeatedly ridiculed, attacked by mobs. Uh, He was beaten and jailed. And on top of all the persecutions, here's the cherry on top, God added unto Paul a thorn in his flesh. Paul says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, in order to keep me from becoming too full of myself, kind of like a certain camp speaker a bunch of years ago, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, now we don't know what it what it was, no biblical scholar is sure. Thorn in the flesh is like saying a pain in the neck. It was something that kept Paul humble. It was meant to keep him relying on God, meant to remind him of his frail human nature, to keep him compassionate toward others who were also broken in body, mind, or spirit. Have you got a thorn in the flesh? Is there something you've been praying that God would remove from your life because you're, you're suffering because of it? But God isn't removing it. It's still there, or, or it keeps coming back. Folks, I want you to think about something. Maybe God has a reason for you to play through the pain. One day, uh, nine years ago, my father was walking through some woods, and he was pushing a branch out of the way, and it snapped, and a piece of that branch shot like a bullet right into his left eye and pulverized it. My dad says that the last thing that he ever saw out of that eye was like from the prologue of those James Bond movies where the curtain of blood just kind of comes down over the eye, and then that was it. Now, medical science these days is is amazing, and uh, my dad now has a false eye that looks uh, just like his remaining real one. If I hadn't told you it was left eye, you wouldn't even know which one it was. 
But in some ways, this was a Damascus Road moment for my father. He's a pastor with with deep faith, and so this wasn't uh, a matter of encountering Jesus for the first time like it was with Paul. But my father has been blessed all his life with with a strong, healthy, athletic body. Uh, He played college in football. He was uh, an ice hockey player for Oxford University. I remember as a child, every morning he would go out for a jog, and then he would come back and go down into the basement and lift weights. But you see, to some extent, my dad would tell you this, he prided himself on having such a a strong, healthy body, a little bit of natural pride in dad there. And then he lost an eye. Now he could relate in a whole new way to people with physical limitations. He gained a greater sensitivity to others who are battling health problems. And, And get this, this is amazing. Several months after the accident, my dad said to me, Kai, you know what? I think that I see better now with one eye than I did with two. You see, it made him a better pastor. It, it gave him a, a deeper tenderness. Uh, through his own weakness, Dad experienced God's power in a whole new way. He became the wounded healer. He was able to relate to others with wounds. He, he came to understand that living with Limited vision, this was his thorn in the flesh, was allowed by God for a reason, to make his heart more like God's heart. So if you're suffering from some, you know, chronic thorn in the flesh, if you're playing through pain and it's discouraging you, and I totally get it, let me encourage you. Paul called his thorn of flesh a messenger of Satan. But hear this, Satan has no power that God does not allow. God already defeated Satan at the cross. And so if the devil is still swinging away and making contact, it's only because God is allowing it for a reason. Because God is perfect wisdom and love. That means he is always motivated out of perfect love for you and me, even though we may not be able to understand why it is that we're going through what we are sometimes. But folks, in many cases, God doesn't change our situations because he's trying to change our hearts. He's trying to make us more loving, more forgiving, more God-centered. Don't waste your weakness. The loss of an eye made my dad's heart more compassionate. Uh, Paul's thorn kept his heart from becoming conceited. And how about this? Have you thought about this? That maybe, just maybe, what God is bringing you through at this moment could be a testimony that will bring someone else through someday. Your testimony, your story of what God has done to hit for power through your weakness and change your life could change others' lives if you're willing to share that and expose your weakness. The bottom line, don't waste your weakness. Let God show his strength through it. Paul said, I can do all things through myself. No, Through him who gives me, what? Strength. Strength to overcome. Do you have that power hitter strength in you to overcome all things, to to play through pain? Folks, real strength finds its source in that place where divine power met divine weakness. The cross where Jesus died for you and me. Jesus' weakest moment giving up his last breath. In that moment, God the Father poured out his saving power upon a world in desperate need of rescue. And he also wants to pour out his power through you to change the world. Believe it. 
Here's the last thing that we're going to talk about this morning in terms of lessons that Paul learned on his way to becoming a Hall of Fame power hitter. It's this. Power hitters rebuild their swing. Power hitters rebuild their swing. Now, baseball players in, uh, who are poor hitters, maybe, in the, in the minors, possibly the majors, they can be taught new techniques to, to hopefully give them a more successful technique at the plate. It's called rebuilding the swing. Now, as you can imagine, that's not very easy because, you know, a player's got these ingrained habits, right? They're used to swinging a certain way hundreds or even thousands of times. But through determination and hard work in the batting cage, it can be done. Now, to have a home run faith, that means that we've got to let God rebuild our swing. In other words, we've got to let God rebuild our heart and our mind. In his letter to the Roman believers, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but what? Be transformed, be transformed, be rebuilt by the renewing of your mind. You see, sin and the ingrained habits that it produces can only be eliminated through faith in Jesus, who wants to give us a fresh start. And I don't know what kind of frame of heart or mind you are in as you came in here this morning. Maybe you're feeling beat up by the world. Maybe you're beating yourself up. You know, we can often be our own worst enemy. Whatever it is, I want you to hear this this morning, that there is no one that God cannot give a fresh start to. Exhibit A, Paul. Hello, violent persecutor of Christians. God rebuilds his swing and bam, he becomes one of the faith's greatest defenders. The Bible is full of rebuilt swings. Moses was a murderer. Jacob was a con artist. King David was an adulterer. Matthew was a thief. Failed prospects stuck in the minors until God got them into the batting cage. And God is still a roving instructor today. No matter how many times we've whiffed, no matter how many times we've struck out or screwed up, with God, anyone can rebuild their swing and become a power hitter. Now, one of the best power hitters in the game today is Albert Pujols, World Series winner, three-time National League MVP, two-time National League home run champ, nine-time All-Star. Now, those are some of Albert's worldly credentials. But Albert discovered what God can do when you let him rebuild your swing. Well, I was still in high school when I met my wife. We set up a day uh, to go out and you know, it was just a week after we day, I was telling her that I love her so much, you know, and it was like, what are you talking, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, we only be dating for, for a week. She started explaining to me that she had a daughter with Down syndrome. She just had a baby three months old. She pretty much, you know, told me, hey, listen, uh, you know, I, I go to church. I made a promise to God uh, that the man or the guy that I'm that I'm gonna start date if, if I ever do that again, that's the guy that I, I'm gonna get married. Yo sabía que siempre había un Dios, pero nunca tenía esa pasión para él. Y ella en realidad me introdució a la iglesia, fuimos. Como la segunda semana, yo comenzaba a hacerle preguntas. She pretty much told me, uh, you know, the difference between eternal life or, or hell. And I was like, well, you know, no understanding that much. I'm like, well, I don't want to go to hell. You know, I want to go to heaven.
next week after that, I said the prayer and I went out there and I dedicated my life to the Lord. I, I surrounded myself and just say, here I am, Lord. Uh, you know, take control of my life. I want what other people had at church, uh, that joy and, and that passion and that love. And I wanted that. That was a, a turning point in my life because after I made that decision, it, I felt like my life was changing. It transformed me like a 360. Y él es que me mantiene humilde. A él es que yo le doy todo el crédito de lo que yo he hecho en la Grandes Ligas y en la Liga Medore. I don't want people to remember as a baseball player. To me, uh, off the field is more important than what I do in the field. Yeah, I want to be a great baseball player, but I also want to be a, a golly daddy and a golly husband and set an example for my kids. You would have asked me this 20 years ago, and I would have told you that Atai was about me until I find that love and somebody to fill that little hole that I had on me, and that was Jesus Christ. We die on the cross for my sin, and that's why I believe that I am in second. All right. Hey, let's hear it for Albert. Way to lead, man. Way to lead. And did you, did you catch what he said? He said that, that for 20 years, his first 20 years of life, life was all about himself. And then he married a young woman with a Down syndrome child, little Isabella, from a previous relationship. His wife kept taking him to church, <laughs> and I love how Albert uh, puts this. You know, he says, she really took me to church, <laughs> and, and he ultimately recognized that there was a void in his life that only God can fill. So he became a Christian, a, a Jesus follower, and he began to put others ahead of himself. God was rebuilding his swing. And get this, in 2005, Albert and his wife started a foundation called the Albert Pujols Family Foundation that supports people and families living with Down syndrome. And it also helps impoverished families in the Dominican Republic where Pujols is from. Isn't that awesome? I love this quote from Albert that I found on his foundation website. He says, Becoming a great baseball player is important to me, but it is not my primary focus. My life's goal is to bring glory to Jesus. My life is not mostly dedicated to the Lord. It is 100% committed to Jesus Christ and His will. Folks, that is what makes Albert Pujols a power hitter in the best possible way. That is a home run faith. And so let me ask you, do you have a home run faith? Are you let, willing to let God rebuild your swing? Are you willing to let him get a hold of you in your weakest places and hit for power? Because God wants to make each and every one of you a power hitter. He's got purposes for putting you on his team. So are you ready to step up to the plate? Let's pray. Father God, we, we ask for a, an anointing of your power, your Holy Spirit power into our lives. That, that, that you would be made strong through our weakness. You would show your power through our weakness. Help us not to waste our weakness, but to give it to you, along with everything else that we have, everything else that we are, for your purposes, for your glory, and for your honor. We pray in Jesus' name, who is willing to look weak and foolish for our sakes. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you are inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.